Well, tonight we come to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and, and I just remember this Saturday one day, this Saturday, ladies, there is a women's conference right out here in the park, and um, it's at 10 o'clock to 12, and come on out a little early if you'd like, bring some chairs, we'll be outside, and enjoy uh, just a great time with my wife, and feel free feel free to bring your friends and family and invite people to come. And uh, that'll be this coming um, Saturday. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I was working my way to get to verse 5 tonight, and then I, I came across the question. And that question was, from, from just talking to people and, and getting to know people, it, it does seem still that there is a grounding that's necessary to understand that the work of salvation is done by God, it's maintained by God, it's kept by God, it's protected by God. And uh, if, if you go back and look through Romans 4, as we did a couple of Sunday mornings ago when we were in Matthew 28, uh, part one of discipleship, we, we showed that it's not of us that had any part in saving ourselves. It was 100% God and all of his work in our salvation. So it is a guarantee. It's, it's not 99% God and 1% us. We saw man, not even in sinful bodies yet, with Adam and Eve. And they had a stipulation, one out of the quadrillion trees on planet Earth, one tree, don't eat from. And uh, they weren't even sinful bodies yet, and, and we know what happened there. So God is not basing salvation upon us in any way, shape, or form. It's kept by the power of God, and, uh, and Jesus made it clear those who believe in him would not perish uh, but he will raise them up on the last day, that of them the Father has given him the promise that he would lose none. And so when we're looking at this question that we're going to come across tonight, that it says, and some will depart from the faith, we're going to look at that to understand what that means for us in the church. First of all, I just want to remind us that 1 Corinthians 3.15, it tell, talked to us about how uh, Paul said, I'm writing this letter so you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of not just God, but the church of the living God. That our God is a living God. And in verse 16, he gave us that incredible creed or song, whatever it was. Great is the mystery of godliness and, and made it clear who Jesus was. And our church is built as the pillar and the ground of truth. You try to imagine America with no Christian churches. What would this place look like? In 2 Thessalonians, it says the Lord is not going to return. The rapture won't come until that which is taken out of the way. Us Christians, we are the wall holding back the world, dominating with that antichrist spirit. And we often feel like we're the wall, getting beat up, being the wall. But we won't back down. You start to think about it. If there was no church, there would be no definition of family. There would, there would be uh, no knowledge of God, no sense of godliness or holiness. All these things would be unknown, and every man would, would do what's right in his own eyes. Imagine... America with a bunch of religious Christian churches, none of them actually teaching the Bible. Imagine that. We can almost imagine that, isn't it? can't we? Because there's very, very few. And a lot of those churches are not holding up the wall, even though they go there Sunday morning and sing their hymns and go through their liturgies or, or their sermonettes for the Christianettes. There's no real substance happening. So when we talk about the church of the living God, we're talking about something that's substantial. It's the pillar and the ground of the truth. But yet we sense it, don't we? Paul says in these last days, 
In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4, the time will come, and I believe we're here now. They will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, the Joel Osteen type of people, to, to tell them positive things and not the truth. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The fact is, is we are in a time where the odds of us being successful in sharing the gospel are going to get less and less. Uh, I'll tell you what, when we went into Eastern Europe after the Iron Curtain fell, I, I remember in one particular city, we went out in the streets, and actually uh, Mike Harris, who is here with us now, and he, he was the missionary there in Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia today. But we went to this town, and, and again, you've got to realize, they have, they've been under Soviet Union. They've never heard anybody stand up for God. So this is the first time in decades. We walked out on the street, and Mike Harris just began preaching this 10-minute gospel message. And we had literally hundreds of people come around. And when he was done and said, you, you need to receive Jesus, start following him, nobody moved an inch. And we just started talking to the Christians there. And I had a group of about 50 high schoolers. And, and one of the guys was speaking, and he, hey, I know English, and I got a question. He, I have a question. How, you know, what about evolution? And, and, and I went through a, a couple of the, the theories of evolution that, are, that really are bunk. And, and he's like, yeah, I know that, you know. And, and then they had a couple other questions, and... And, and then he talked to the group and he said, they all want to receive the Lord. And it, and it wasn't a casual type of thing. I mean, they all started going to church. The, the first Sunday in that particular church, we had 400 people show up, mostly young people, and they were fully surrendered to Christ. But I, I, out of the 200 people there, I don't know if there was anybody that left not receiving the Lord. And we would go down the block and do it again, and everyone would receive the Lord again. We'd go to little towns, big towns, everybody just like, we know there's, we know lying's wrong, and murder is wrong, and rape is wrong, and stealing is wrong. Why? Why is it wrong? And you're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you, you, you see the problem here, that we all have a sense of wrong, and we've all been made by one designer who designed us, and we all have similar consciences, whether you're here or on the other side of the world, we still know those things are wrong. How could that be possible? Because we're spiritual creatures, not just physical creatures. And we would explain these things. And, and then to come back to America, <laughs> imagine going into a mall and start preaching the gospel. Would anybody even stop? And then out of those who stopped, how many of them are there to just mock you? And to those who aren't mocking you, are they really open at all or just want to try to mess with you a minute before they go on their way? But then you keep doing it, and sure enough, there are those handful of people that will listen and come to Christ. So we sense it. We're, we're, we're fishing in a lake with very few fish that will bite, and it's going to continue to get harder and harder. But yet, we, it's not impossible. We've got to remember, it's not impossible even in these times. That's why Paul told Timothy, even though he wasn't feeling it, he said, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. Do you, do you hear what he's saying here? It's not just a casual, well, John 3.16, nobody receives it, I go on my way. No, get in there. Rebuke, exhort, do what it takes. Work for the souls of these people that God's calling, that Satan's hanging on to. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, be watchful in all things. What does he call evangelism? <laughs> Endure affliction. <laughs> Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Yes, it, it's scars. Paul says in Galatians 6, I'll show you the scars that I preach Christ and him crucified. And I preach Christ with the cross. And so Paul <clears throat> told the Ephesians,
When I was with you guys, he says in Acts 20, 27, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He's going to say in the next verse, he does it night and day with tears. He did it. He labored for those three years to teach every possible doctrine to the church with great effort. Well, tonight we're going to look at 1 Timothy 4.1, and let's look at that verse now. Now the Spirit, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So this is not the first time Paul has warned the church of Ephesians about these things. A matter of fact, in Acts 20, verse 28 to 31, listen to this. Therefore take heed to yourself, to the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, because God's Spirit had expressly been saying that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, not just from outside the church, but from within the church. Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. It was an ego thing, an ego trip. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. One of the things that I did the three years I was pastoring the church of Ephesus, the, the devious, the perverse men attack you while I was there. I was too, too formidable of a foe against them. But when I left and, and some of that strength that I had there as an apostle, what left with me, they were going to see that the pickings were easier. And I preached the gospel, the whole gospel. I got through the whole text of all that God, all the doctrine, the New Testament doctrine. I got through it all with you guys. And it wasn't easy. You endured it. You worked. You studied. It was an intense uh, Bible training three years. But in every one of the messages, I constantly with tears said, guys, you're going to have to defend the faith. Because Satan is not going to take this lying down. He's already got guys ready at the gate to come from outside. And he's already got transplants on the inside looking like believers. But they're going to show their true colors in time after I leave. So this, this begs the question. What is the church of God? I think the New Testament defines it this way. I think we have true, sincere believers. Secondly, I think there's also false deceivers acting like sincere believers. You know, we would say wolves in sheep clothing, wouldn't we? Then there's wounded believers that have a root of bitterness that has springed up in their souls and they can defile many if they're not kept in check. And then you have weak believers, those who have a hard time in their infancy and in their weakness as a believer that just haven't grown. And so discerning against false doctrines, against false prophets, it's hard for them to do. And I'll tell you what, I, I have seen truly charismatic people and I've been around some that, I won't name names, but it is scary how much power they have. Just, they were born with it. They were born into this world, and if they were a CEO, they'd be a multimillionaire. If they were selling ice in, to Eskimos in Alaska, they would be millionaires. They are just that charismatic, and, and honestly, even thinking about it now puts a chill up my spine. And I know how hard it would be to say no and, and to withstand such people that have such a, a weightiness about them. Partly they were born with this very charismatic ability, but then they've honed it into a skill. And, uh, and it's just manipulation. 
It's manipulation. They can manipulate people to do what they want. And with that manipulation, they manipulate the money out of them often, manipulate to build edifices and buildings or whatever. And, and it's this, it's a very demonic thing, but it's all under the guise of God and building the church and spirituality. But what's going on behind the scene, it's truly ungodly. And so Jesus taught us about this. He, he, he taught several parables in Matthew 13. I'm just going to look at one of them. In Matthew 13, 24 to 30, he says, Another parable he put forth to them, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced crops, then the tares also appeared, so that the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Did you use cheap seed? No. How did, how did those tares come then? And he said, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them all up? you want us to rip up the field? And he said, No. While you gather up the tares, you also will uproot the wheat with them. I grew up in the farming country, and I used to, we call it chop cotton, but it was taking the weeds out of the cotton as it would be growing. And there, there's a very, uh, at the very beginning, to discern a weed from the actual cotton, it's very, very hard. Unless you really know what you're looking at, you can start pulling up cotton thinking you're pulling out weeds. And so he's saying, no, leave it alone. And in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn. So in verse 36 of Matthew 13, they said, explain this to us. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares and the field. And he answered in verse 37 and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out his kingdom, all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be welling and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So right now, it's muddy. <laughs> the church doesn't look just purely shining in righteousness because the devil has mixed in people that are pretending to be sincere Christians, but yet there's manipulation, there's wrong doctrine, there's discouragement there in all kinds of, all kinds of ways. We're not ignorant of Satan, devices. We, we know how he works. And, and the people that are true, sincere Christians, they don't shine as brightly as they will when all the tares are cleared out of the field and you're just able to look straight at the pure crop. And so in the church today, and it will always be this way, the, the waters are muddied and the righteous don't shine forth as clearly as they will once the tares are taken away. Jesus said of himself with his little church of 12, he said to them in John 60, verse 70, 71, did I not choose you the 12 and one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him being one of the 12. Remember, he kept the money. And, and there in John, Jesus says, whoever I give this sop to and give it to him, he's the one who betrays me. He put the sop in, he gave it to Judas, said, go and do what you must do quickly. Judas left and it said, all the apostles thought he went to feed the poor. That's what he looked like. His, he, he had such an outer crust of righteousness that they thought, it, it can't be Judas, it has to be one of the other one of us. 
Even though Jesus just made it abundantly clear, they just said, oh, well, yeah, go, go feed the poor. That's what he was telling them. Not, you're going to be the one betray me. It, didn't, it did not compute to them. So th- this is where we have to get past the understanding that we as the church are always going to have tares amongst us. And so let's break this down and look at these four types of people within the church. The sincere believer. Although they will make it to the end, they still have to fight and keep the faith and sound doctrine. In 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you also were called and have confessed the confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so between now and heaven, there's Goliaths in the land we still got to kill. There's battles that still have to be fought to kick the enemy out. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You tonight, are you here saying, Jesus is Lord of my life? I want that more than anything Matter of fact, it is only one thing that I desire, and that is Jesus to be the Lord of my life. In Romans 8, 15 and 16, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's a submission, there's a desire to to submit and serve and love and please and obey God. And in this human flesh, it's a constant frustration, isn't it? And we long for that day to be in our brand new body where that battle is over. That I'm actually in a body that's exactly like my spirit. Our hands don't want to obey God. Our feet don't want to obey God. Our mind doesn't want to obey God. Our, our earthly desires that are going on don't want to obey God. We want to do anything but that. That's what our body is doing, 100% the opposite of where we're going. Remember Paul in Romans 7 said, the things I don't do want to do, I don't think do. Things I don't want to do, I do do. Oh, wretched man I am. Not, not me. Not wretched man that I, no wretched man that my flesh is. For in me, my spirit perfectly is willing. Why do I say this? Because so often Christians will think, I'm one of those apostates. I, I, I honestly cannot tell you how many times, especially young teenage people, And college people will tell me, Brian, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think I might be the Antichrist. (laughs) You're laughing because all of you have had that same thought. When we get face to face with how sinful our flesh is, we realize I'm not far away from the Antichrist. I mean, it wouldn't take much, you know, little help from the devil, and I'm right there. That's how wicked I am. And we know it. It's true, isn't it? But I say to them, do you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Yes, that can only be by the Holy Spirit. Do you you want to be in a brand new body with the Lord in heaven? Ah, more than anything, that's God's spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a pilgrim and a stranger here and this is not your home. Your home is in heaven. You see, you are a sincere believer. And I know it's hard to understand that there are people that will lift their hands, will sing the songs, will teach the Bible studies, will do the things, but it's, it's hard for us who are sincere believers to understand that they're completely disconnected from what they're presenting. They don't feel it, they don't want it, they don't desire it, but they find this compulsion to maintain a presence, a righteous look in the church, and it's demonic. 
And so this brings us to the second one, false deceivers acting like sincere Christians. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. If Satan were to appear here right now, it would be beautiful. We would be overwhelmed with his angelic spirit. And yes, I think there would be a grieving going on that we are in the presence of evil. But I think in our human flesh, we would be more mesmerized by his beauty. And then when he opened his mouth, and it would sound like musical instruments as he declared God's word. Crazy, isn't it? That's what we would see if we saw the devil. Not the horns, not the pitchforks, not a sinister-looking evil guy. Uh, This is why it's scary. Satan knows the word. You know, he pretty much tries to make it 99% truth. You know, it's like that story where if you had this big plate of Thanksgiving meal food, and I turned around and I said, I'm going to put one drop of cyanide on your plate. Though 99% of the plate, except for that one drop, go ahead and eat it. Would you even touch the plate? You wouldn't. Yeah, guys, it's, it's, it's incredible to understand we are in these last days. The United Methodist Church now has homosexual pastors and priests pastoring the church. I've read a number of books on John Wesley. You know what? You would look under the title to find the Wesleyan, the Methodist movement. It's called the Holiness Movement. Because they had in their hearts to live holy and give themselves completely to God for good works only. And now to see this. And the Presbyterian, not the Dutch Reformed Presbyterian, but the the main Presbyterian church, equally so. Lutheran church, equally so. Go back and look on Luther. (laughs) Go back and study Calvin. You, You see these mighty, mighty men of God, and now within a few generations after their death, not hundreds of years. What do we see? We see false prophets declaring good is evil and evil is good. And here's the thing. We're not even surprised by it. Wow. And yet the spirit of this age is heavy upon us, which is live and let live. You believe that and you're sincere, it's, it's okay. And you believe that and that's, you know, I disagree with that, but no big deal. And the, and the, the, the presence of the spirit of this age to accept even the most wicked of things is showing the effects of these false doctrines, these seducing spirits. I like the old King James. Seducing. Think about that. Seducing. Like a, 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 I'm having a, Bad moment, but a a prostitute seducing a guy off the street to come in and have sex. It's the the concept. These guys are bringing in peace, peace, when there is no peace, but be at peace anyway. Don't don't make a big deal of of this homosexuality. Don't make a big deal of, of whatever the sin might be today. We are in these age, and and it's infiltrating the church, and no doubt it's infiltrating some of us, and we've got to sometimes find ourselves as that seducing spirit, those doctrines of demons start to lull our minds, make our minds mush. We have to whip out the sword and and, and, and chop that doctrine in half. It's It's no, it's not the truth. It's a lie. 
In Galatians 1, 6, 9, listen to this, verses 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. In the Greek, there's two words for another. One word is you're having a cup of coffee, and I say, would you like another, referring to coffee, the other, I see you take a sip of the coffee and woo, and you set it down, and I see you don't like it, and I say, would you like another, referring to something other than what you're drinking? And this here, he's making a play on that word. They're preaching another gospel, one of the same type, but it's not another. It's com- one of completely different type. There are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They don't want to take away the gospel of Christ. They're not trying to end Christianity. They're for Christianity. They just want the Christianity in the churches of the Galatia region to have this flavor. And Paul says, you go with that flavoring, you no longer have the truth anymore. And he says this, that even if we or an angel from heaven. Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. That's the word anathema. Damned to the lowest part of hell where devil himself will dwell. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Anathema. What he is saying here is that the truth is a razor blade. It's not a butter knife. And that this is exactly what Satan does. He's not trying to be the big giant evil force outside the walls. That's for for idiots. He's always trying to blend in. That's always the greater effect he has. The greatest effect is is to try to blend in and steer things in a way that's still 99, 98% accurate. But we just need to lighten up on this 1% over here and, and let's turn it a little bit. And so what do we see? Interesting, Joseph Smith says, the angel Moroni spoke to him and gave him the Mormon doctrine gave him a pair of glasses called the humum and the thermum and he was able to read egyptian hieroglyphic from these golden tablets in which he wrote the book of mormon and the pearl of great price we see that in jude that satan was wanting to have the body of moses in the book of jude michael said that he had to fight lucifer over it and finally he said the lord rebuke you Lucifer was wanting to possess that body of Moses, no doubt, and walk down there and tell them something other than what God would have spoke through Moses. And he's saying here, even if somebody shows up and looks like me, sounds like me, Paul in Corinthians says, by the way, if you're getting letters and it's different than what I've told you, throw them out. People are already writing letters. At the same time, Paul was writing letters and had another 20 years of writing letters, yet... People were sneaking in their own letters with a different gospel. Even Peter got swept up in this. In, first, in Galatians 2, verse 11 to 13, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Before certain men came from James, that's from Jerusalem, from the headquarters there, James, the brother of the Lord, was now the the guy in charge of the church. He would eat with Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were from the circumcision, from the Jewish Christians. Peter was still pretending to be kosher in his food. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite, strong word, with him. So that even Barnabas, one of the strongest brothers in the New Testament church at the time, was carried away by their hypocrisy. Wow. Do we see this? These guys from Jerusalem 
who were legalists. In Acts 15, Paul would have to turn around, come all the way back, and, and have a meeting and rebuke these Pharisees who were going behind Paul, teaching them, yeah, you know, we don't have to keep the whole law, but you need to be a little more Jewish than you are. And in Galatians 5, one of those things was getting circumcised. Look at that. In Galatians 5, verse 7 through 11, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Satan knows that equation. One drop of poison is all it takes. And I have confidence in you and the Lord that you have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, I still, if I still preach circumcision, why do you, I still suffer persecution. The offense of the cross has ceased. So they wanted to get rid of the cross of Christ. That's too gory and bloody and, and not very commercially friendly. It doesn't go along with the Coca-Cola ad. And let's get rid of some of the gory stuff about the cross and our sins and Jesus having to die and be tortured to death. Let's get rid of that. And let's, let's go back to also getting circumcised and, and, and looking a little more formalized and like we have a really solid tradition in the Jewish Gentile church. We just need you Gentiles to be a little more Jewish. And, and Peter got caught up to where Paul finally had to just stop in the middle of the church service and say, on this point I'm teaching on, Peter, Barnabas, repent. You're both being hypocrites. You were eating bacon yesterday before these guys came. And you enjoy bacon. Admit it. And, uh, and yet, they, they realized in that moment, oh, I, they got me. And here I am. In Galatians 6, verse 12 and 13, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you may, they may boast in your flesh. They're saying, be circumcised and keep the law, but those men are telling you to keep the law, they can't do it either. They're lying to you, telling you they're doing it. They're not doing it. I know they sound like they're doing it. They look, when you see them, they, they're doing it, but they can't do it. And they just want you to get circumcised so it looks like their numbers are growing. And I, I've had people tell me that about Mormons. Oh, they're the nicest people. I know. We've all been made in God's image. It, it's, it's amazing. I, I know some atheists that are, I, I had a, a a physics teacher in high school was one of the most honorable, honest guys in all the world. And, and he was a full-on atheist, but just the sweetest guy. I, I understand that. But, you know, the Mormons, man, they're, they're really, yes, Satan himself comes as an angel of light. How do you think he has all his prophets come and his apostles come? This is all a part of it. What do you think he's doing in the Christian church? You think he's bringing in some guy that looks like a crazy dude? Or does he look like this really well-organized businessman who seems to have everything in his whole life together and that's why you're listening to him? I know one church where it's more of a traditional church, so they had Sunday school after the service. Most churches, they have the church service and they have Sunday school before. But this particular Baptist Church had church and then they had various Sunday schools including adult Sunday school and they had a psychologist who began to be the teacher and, and his class went from about 12 people before he knew it everybody in the church was coming to his and he at first he was just like yeah you know your pastor said this and you know that's maybe true but you know let me tell you about the psychology of man and and he would sort of change a little bit and that pastor, the elders came and said, you, you, need to, you need to sit on those classes because this isn't right. It's not far off, but it, doesn't, it seems off a little bit. And then the elders finally just said, hey, I, I can't go to this guy's class anymore. It's just grieving me. You, you need to. 
And then eventually that psychologist just began to out and out say, this pastor is wrong. And ended up taking and and leading astray the majority of the church. But again, it, it looked like everything was wonderful and exciting and people are so excited about our church and the church is growing and people are coming. But yet, we have to guard, we have to fight the good fight of faith in our doctrine. In 1 John 2.19, it says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made evident or manifest that none of them were of us. And so you go back to the roots of the Mormon church or the Jehovah Witness church or whatever, and, and those guys were in Christian churches. <laughs> and those people standing firm in the doctrine were correcting them until eventually they went out and started their own thing. And then they just could go as far as they want into their heretical statements. And uh, those people were following the men rather than the doctrine. So the third group of people we have in the church are those who are wounded. And they're wounded believers, and there is a root of bitterness that can spring up and defile many. In Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27, it says, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place. I like the New American Standard. It says, Give a foothold to the devil. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees which make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by this many become defiled." Remember even Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said, as you're saying, and forgive me of my trespasses, as I forgive those who trespass. He said, he put that footnote in there right at the very end of the Lord's Prayer and said, if you don't forgive men the sins against you, neither will Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. This is a big issue. In Matthew 5 In verse 43 to 45, Jesus makes it clear. You've heard that it was said, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Those wounded believers where Satan can get in and and get that foothold and and their bitterness starts spewing. It's a cancer. People that are bitter think it's only that one person. They wronged me and I got a good reason. It grows, it grows, it grows. And now it's a group of people and then it's everybody. And now it's eventually you're a hermit out in the woods and, you know, this is a serious issue of those people that can really cause damage through their bitterness. In Romans 12, 17 to 21, repay no one evil for evil. It's, it's sort of a shocking that Paul has to tell the believers this, huh? He's talking to those wounded believers. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Rather, give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. If he, in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, who are those people that can hinder the church and steer people away from the church? People who... who are willing to listen to other people who are bitter, who have something negative to say about the church or the pastor or other Christians. Those are a group of people that we need to help strengthen them. 
and hold their hands and, and continue to cause them to, to learn to walk away from that bitterness. Let the grace of God fill their hearts. And then the fourth is the weak believer. And because he's weak in his faith, he can't discern against the false teachings and the false prophets. In Romans 14, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he can eat all things, but a weak thinks he can only eat vegetables. And, and let me just say this. Weak believers love legalism. Because they're fighting their flesh, they're feeling guilty about their sins, they're, they're being overtaken in their lust, like all of us are fighting that fight, aren't we? We're fighting against bitterness. We're fighting against greed. We're fighting against anger. We're fighting against all the various lusts in the world. You know, whether it's for a moment or whether it's for a week, I mean, it just, we never know where it's coming and when it's stopping. We just have to fight the good fight uh, with all of these, this human flesh of ours, right? But, but the week is like, oh, yes, you know, if I get circumcised, that'll help. If I, you know, get my long haircut and have short hair, then, that, then I'll be, you know, if I start wearing a suit, if I start this diet, if I, and there's always going to be people out there telling you to, you know, for $9.99, get their booklet and, and their program, and you're, you're, you're going to be holy as Jesus is holy within a month or your money back guaranteed. There's always going to be those guys there trying to get you to buy their holy water or whatever it is they got next. And the weaker believer is willing to just say, oh, that, that sounds easier. That sounds like a definite thing. If I do it, that'll help me. In Matthew 26, 41, because we, 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 we know this, this very well, because we all feel this way at times. Jesus says to Peter, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen to that? I mean, that's, that's our life story. Just put that on my gravestone right there. His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. That's true, you know, six out of seven days of the week, right? At least that's how I feel. But God is a loving God, and we are his children. And what do you do with children? You spank them. In Hebrews 12, I'm not going to read it, but in verses 5 through 11, um, he says that every parent who loves his child spanks him, hopefully, and it'll change his attitude and grow his character. And God spiritually in the same way does. And if you're not getting spanked, that might be a big giant sign that you're not a child of God. That's sort of scary there. He says in verse 11 of, of Hebrews 12, 11, no one now, no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable, fruitful righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To a more mature believer, maybe a teenager, guy getting up into his college years, God, you know, they, they get older, you don't spank him anymore, do you? But looks how in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, do not be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. For if he sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God just lets pain <laughs> spank you. I remember when I, uh, one, one year, Cheryl was at a women's retreat, and I had all the kids, all four of the kids, and they were small, and, and uh, I might have only had three of them at the time, and my son Nathan, he was just always a go. The moment he woke up in the morning, he was running. And... Um, and I remember it was raining outside, and our, our cement got like ice outside. I don't know why, especially in one particular spot. And I grabbed them all, and I said, okay, I'm going to open the front door. Nobody runs out to the car. We're walking. Do we all understand that? Yes, yes, yes. I opened the door. Nathan took off. As soon as he hit that spot, boom, he went down. He's staring at us. I know the, bir the birds are going on. I'm like... And I've got the other two babies in my arms and trying to get to the car. And I'm like, hey, you just spanked yourself. <laughs> when you're done spanking yourself, get up and get in the car. We got to go. <laughs> I love what C.S. Lewis says about pain. 
Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What's that megaphone saying? There are better ways than this. You may have enjoyed the flesh for the second, but the, the, what you end up reaping is so painful. Don't do it again. For others that are weak believers, that, you know, it's just hard for them. And, and you know, God bless them. I, you know, we, I've seen people come out of the inner city to Christ. Both of their parents are drug addicts or an alcoholic. They never really saw their parents get up and go to work. <laughs> never had a job. They lived in poverty. They themselves might have been on drugs for a few years. And they come to Christ. It takes years to get them out of habits and into habits and just learning basic lifestyle of, of a normal person because they've been in such darkness and difficulty and, and uh, just a, a completely unworkable family situation. It's hard for them to imagine. Their dad got a job two weeks later. He didn't feel like getting up and he quit. That's what you do. You go to college, you don't like it in the third week, you just quit. That's the way their life was. But then you get some guy who's, you know, grown up in a pretty normal situation. He comes to the Lord within two or three years. You know, he can really start maturing in Christ. Where this other guy who'd been three years in the Lord, loves the Lord just as much. He's just got so much to dig out of, so much baggage, so many sinful, difficult ways, so many things that he's been through. It's just hard to get to that place where you're free to begin to really sprint in the Lord. And often those guys can get dragged back down over and over again, especially if it's drugs or alcohol or these type of things. But in Jude 1, in verse 20 to 25, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others, the other group, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. What does he say? Some of those weak Christians, when the rapture happens, their very garments smell of their sin. And as they're being transformed into their new bodies, it's like the the fires of hell are sort of burning them on the butt as they're getting raptured, you know? But then he turns it around and says, but what, what is God going to do for all of us? For all of us who are believers, weak, fruitful, not as fruitful, strong, not as strong, all of us, he's going to keep us from stumbling. He's going to present all of us faultless before his throne. But hopefully the weak Christian can get strong and discern evil and good and good doctrine and bad doctrine. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, let's run the race to win it. Let's run in such a way to get that crown. In Matthew 13, 3, he says, behold, the sower goes and sows the seed and it falls, it says in verse 8 and 9, on the good soil. And this is the guy who comes back and yields some 100, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. What is he saying here? That there are some believers that can literally one seed, one plant. Farmers never get that. It doesn't exist in the real world where you plant 100 tomato seeds and you get 100 tomato plants. But he's saying you can get that fruitful as a believer so finishing up and looking at verse 1, the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, 
He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says of the church, is how he puts it in Revelation to the seven churches. And what is he saying there? That there is going to be a time when the church starts getting thinned out by who? Those false believers. Not the believers. The believers are never going to be taken away. Remember we just went through this in, in, in Matthew 28? All that come unto me, I've got them. <laughs> I lose none of them. All that come to me not, will not perish, but I will raise them up on the last day. All that come to me on my hands, and of them I lose none. All that come to me are in my Father's hand. He's greater than all, and we lose none. But nevertheless, he says in the last days, what are the last days? Peter, in his sermon, explains it to us out of the book of Joel. He says this, it's from the day of Pentecost till the very end of the tribulation period. He describes it in Acts chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. He gives the very last description of the very end of the tribulation period when the sky becomes darkened and the moon turns to blood. What are the last days? It started in the day of Pentecost, but yet Paul talks about the last of the last days. And the last of the last days, <laughs> some will indeed depart from the faith, but we know who those people are. The word depart here is stronger than what he said earlier. Remember in 1 Timothy 1.6, he said, which some have strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Timothy, get in there, because some of these sheep are, are, are getting, you know, off with these charismatic leaders and these guys leading away to different doctrine. Be the good shepherd. Get those sheep healthy and back into safety. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20, remember he talks about Hyamedes and Alexander? He said, I had to deliver to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. If they were, unhelp if they were unhelpful people, he would have said, I, and they'll be destroyed. He doesn't say that. He said they're, they're learning. It's almost like that 2 Corinthians 5. Remember when the man married his father's wife, his stepmom? And they said, turn that guy over to Satan, that his flesh might be destroyed, that his soul might be saved. Here he's, he said of Hermenides and Alexander that he, he's had to sort of commit them to Satan. They learn not to blaspheme. In 2 Timothy 4.10, there's a guy named Demas who forsook me, loving this present world, departed to Thessalonica. We see there the prodigal son that has to be brought back and to see that in the father's house is where life is, not outside in another foreign country. I think those who will depart from the faith are the apostate ones. Some of them, again, are in these pseudo-Christian groups. We already know they're not Christian. They've already departed from the faith. In this last hundred years, there have been, and I'm going to go over it next week, dozens and dozens of pseudo-Christian church throughout the world like never before. You know, we look at Christianity in America. The real Christianity in America is going down a number. In the cults, it's not happening. The Mormon church is growing by leaps and bounds. And many of these other pseudo-cults are growing in great numbers, especially in other countries where they need God. It's happening even now. Remember in 1 John 2.19, we saw it earlier, they went out from us because they were not of us. They went out from us to make it evident they were never of us. These guys that are departing, listening to these seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, they were amongst us, but never really of us. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he makes it clear, this is one of the signs of the last of the last days. He says in 2 Corinthians 2 that concerning the coming of the Lord, and people are telling you it's already happened, he says in verse 2, not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away. It's the Greek word apostasia comes first. And then the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, the antichrist. 
So this apostasy, the falling away, the defection, the apostasy, the forsaking is actually, uh, it's going to happen. I'm not gonna, going into tonight, but Peter says their, their judgment first has to come to the house of the Lord. It's right that, that God would purify the church. And these people that are going astray already amongst us would actually go completely astray in order for it to be evident that they've always been astray. But for us, this is not a warning. You're a Christian, but just let you know, these last days you might not be a Christian anymore if you don't watch out. That's never the message for us who are believers. And so I just wanted to cover that tonight to, to strengthen you in your faith, to understand what is the church and, and what is he talking about here when we're talking about those who are true, sincere believers, but yet we've got wounded believers, we've got weak believers, and they are the ones that we've got to continue to strengthen to listen to sound doctrine so they don't suffer uh, being a wounded life because they didn't have the correct doctrine. Well, Lord, thank you for your word tonight and just continue to put it deep, deep, deep into our hearts that we would know your heart, know your mind, know your way, and that none here, Lord, would feel in any way, shape, or form afraid. We know that perfect love cast out all fear, that in this culture of grace that you've given us, we're not to be motivated by fear, but by grace, by joy and gladness. We're so overcome by your love for us and by your wonderful thoughts towards us, that you think we're incredible, you think we're your kids, that you, you love us so much that you died on the cross for us because of your great love in which you've loved us. You're keeping our salvation by your power. And we thank you in Jesus' name.